welcome to every election ever and beer. I love when you get that intro right. <laughs> Eddie Zipper, how are you, sir? Hey, what's going on? Well, we're drinking beer over here. We are, and we're back for another Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I can't wait. So what are you drinking today? I am drinking a fine Samuel Adams Boston lager. And tell us why. Well, I chose this because uh, Samuel Adams is the cousin of John Adams, who won the 1796 election, but is going to do far worse in the 1800 election. As wow. we'll, I mean, no spoilers or anything. Don't ruin it. I yeah. like to go in fresh. <laughs> <laughs> what are you drinking, Scott? I'm drinking Bed of Nails Brown Ale Ooh. by Highwire Brewing. Yes. Brewery. Very good. Tasty. It's a very tasty beer, yes. He is completely through that beer, by the way. I don't waste around. I don't waste time with these you things. You do not. No. I am drinking, based on Eddie's recommendation, that John Adams was a cider guy. No, cut the crap. You're drinking because yeah. you like apple That's juice. That's true. I like sweet drinks. I am drinking the Vermonter by Shaxbury Cider. I couldn't get a beer or a cider from Massachusetts, so I got a beer from Vermont. There you go. Yeah. It was just a neighbor. Yeah, which is close to Adams anyway. There's actually an excellently strong connection between Vermont and the election of 1800. Well, let's hear it. See, I knew what I was talking about. Go, Eddie, go. You lucked into it, yeah. by the way. And it goes through a representative named Matthew Lyon. Matthew Lyon represented one of Vermont's districts in the House of Representatives. And he was, during the election of 1800, he was one of the people who was prosecuted for breaking the Sedition Act. It was against the law. The Sedition Act, for all of our idiot listeners out there, what exactly was the Sedition Act? Including me. You and us. (laughs) The Sedition Act made it illegal to bring the administration the current administration into disrepute, which meant you couldn't say bad stuff about the president of the United States. No comment on where Donald Trump falls on the issue. <laughs> I, I would say, <laughs> well, we don't want to get into that, I guess, yeah. but probably pro-sedition act, I would presume. Yes. All right. So tell us about just before the election of 1800, what kind of America are we looking at and what kind of president are we looking at in Adams? All right. So, Adams, we were just talking about the Sedition Act, right? Yes. Matthew Lyon breaks the Sedition Act for saying that John Adams had an unbounded thirst and an for ridiculous pomp. Unbounded waste, too. <laughs> and he gets thrown in jail for that. An unbounded thirst for pomp. Yes. Wow. And circumstance. He's literally thrown in jail. And I, th- I think the, you, you said at one point he was reelected in jail, right? Yeah, yeah. He was actually – he was also fond of, um, of referring to Adams as his rotundity. <laughs> so <laughs> I like it. All of this caught up with him. He's thrown in jail. He becomes the first person in the history of America – to be reelected to his seat from his jail cell. And I mentioned John, uh, Jim Trafficant. Yes. Fine, upstanding American. He was reelected. Was reelected in, <laughs> in jail. He was from uh, Ohio, I believe. You know, Anthony, Anthony Weiner really blew it by not running. 
<laughs> he could have been the third. <laughs> All right, Eddie, we're taking you off track again. So tell us, right before the election of 1800, how popular is Adams in the country? We don't have any public opinion polls to tell you, but I can tell you uh, how popular he is among Democratic Republicans, yep. and that is not popular at all. Not and I can tell you yet. how popular he is among Federalists, which is his party, not really very popular with the Federalists either. Oh, so so, so the, the question begs to be answered, how in the world was he elected? All right, 1796, you got to remember that there has never been a president from any other party except for the Federalist Party, and that president, George Washington. Set a so, pretty good precedent, yeah. Yeah, Adams comes along. He's the third term of the super popular guy, right? He's George H.W. Bush. Exactly. Yeah. He kind of fell into the the next presidency. Yeah, or Martin Van Buren. Ooh, yeah, a better well, it's just the, it's the quintessential riding in on the coattails, for sure. Exactly. And so often that ends in one-term presidency, and it did here as well. So you got a very unpopular guy among all parties, and really an unpopular guy as far as somebody you'd want to hang around running for a re-election. And running against a pretty popular guy, I would say. You know, it all depends on where you are. Um, Jefferson in the South... Very popular. Uh, once you start to get up north, the, the northeast elites, they do not like Jefferson. And they despise Jefferson. In fact, in this election, it's so much the kind of thing. This is one of those things that they always say. Everybody thinks everything is brand new mm -hmm. because TV pundits go on TV and they say, we've never seen anything like this before. Yeah. Well, we have, and everything has happened before, and I'm pretty sure that everything that could ever happen happened in the election of 1800. This is the most insane election of all time. That's such a teaser. You've got to just run with that. Yeah, just go for tell it. us why it's crazy. Okay, number one, first thing, 1796, there's no 12th Amendment. And so the person who gets the most votes becomes president, and the person who gets the second most votes becomes vice president. Well, we ended up with the Federalist who got the most votes, John Adams, becoming president of the United States, and the Democratic-Republican who got the second most votes becoming vice president. So we got the two political enemies, president and vice president now. It's like if we didn't have the 12th Amendment now, Donald Trump is president, Hillary Clinton is vice president. Ooh, what, 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 what could possibly go wrong? Oh, that would have been awesome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Can you imagine? I mean, you almost wish there was no 12th Amendment just so we could see that a for a e day. A brute moment, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> e brute. Yeah. So we had no 12th Amendment. Jefferson's the vice president. Exactly. So you have, in the election of 1800, the president of the United States running for re-election against his opponent, the vice president of the United States. Already crazy. I like that. Yeah, it's, it's already crazy. And um, the Federalist Party – see, the Federalist Party is at a real disadvantage here okay. because we got a little bit of a national debt. 
we got a standing army now. We've got people starting to get upset about the things that are going on. And Federalists have been in charge for the entire history of the country, which means there's no saying that it's Obama's fault or that it's George W. Bush's fault. So I guess the question I would have is, what's the big deal with having a standing army? Why was it such a, a, a big problem with, with, the, with the people out there? All right, so the Democratic Republicans are very against the standing army. The high Federalists are very much for the standing army. Okay. And the reason is a standing army is seen at this time as a danger to the people. That's the government basically wielding this giant weapon that can be used for anything. I mean, today, we just, we just trust in the standing army today because we're just so used to it. But back then, they had just seen Napoleon stage a coup in France, and they're very not super pumped with uh, the standing army. So – well, when you put it in that in those terms, it's, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, someone very similar in stature uh, to John Adams taking over another country with the military. It seems scary. I can see that. The way they <laughs> believe in fighting uh, at this time is like you run into the conflict and you call up the militia and guys grab their guns and they come and join and they fight in the war and then you win and then they all go home. The Democratic Republicans want it to be like that. Plus, the army costs a lot of money, and that's running up a debt. Ah, that's the second point of what you just made. Suddenly, we have a national debt. Exactly. And um, and like I said, if you're a Federalist, you're running for office, you can't try to blame Obama or George W. Bush or whoever came before you because the Federalists – are the only ones who have ever had any power in the government. How fast is this news cycle in the 1800s anyway, though? Like, how how quick does information get to people who would actually make a decision about these things? Or, because they're elected by, I guess, the electors of each state, are all those folks pretty much in the know about these two folks and what they're doing? Oh, yeah. The newspapers are insane at this time. I I love the newspapers of early America. They're awesome. They are staunchly partisan papers, and they print whatever the hell they want to print. That sounds very familiar. So, well, this is this is almost egregious, even in today's standard. It's like the facts be damned, right? So even worse than today. Well, it's different from today because no, none of these papers were pretending to be fair or objective or unbiased. Those weren't things. Nobody had invented, oh, news should be unbiased and objective. That wasn't invented yet. It was almost the expectation. When someone went to a publication to make a purchase, they hand their shilling or whatever it was to grab the, 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 the paper, they were expecting a certain message. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they wanted it. They they wanted that. This part is like today. They yeah. wanted the news to be news that they wanted to read. You know, just like. Makes sense. I mean, it's, you, you think of all the times that we, we, we want to think of ourselves as a well-evolved society in America. But really, 
we've kind of not changed in a lot of ways in the way we consume our news. We go to where we can get to find the news that we want to, we want to read. I think that's what Eddie's saying. Nothing's changed since then. Yeah. I love it. I love that it's the same. And the difference is now they pretend to be objective, but almost none of it is objective. But I think there is – they are a little more careful about what they print now. Before we're done talking about the election of 1800, I'm going to tell you about a newspaper headline that ran during this election that said, Thomas Jefferson is dead. Ooh. Oh, no. That had to be a Federalist. Paper. Yeah. No. <laughs> Where did the 12th Amendment fall on that one? You can't say anything bad. Can you suddenly say he's dead? You mean you mean the Sedition Act? Yeah, the Sedition Act. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Well, the close. Sedition Act only applies to saying bad things about Adam. You can say anything you want about Jefferson. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> what a great law to pass. So let's get into some of the stuff the media said back then. There's this guy, James Callender, and he just writes just crazy nasty stuff about Adams throughout the entire election because he just he hates Adams. He's he runs a Democratic Republican newspaper called the Aurora. So he's ripping on Adams the whole time, calling him names. It's just there's a total smear campaign on both sides in the media. Somebody accused Adams of you know having a hermaphroditic spirit. That was James Callender <laughs> in the Aurora. I mean, who doesn't really? What does that even mean? I'm a hermaphroditic so spirit. Yeah, they basically called him trans. <laughs> because he wore tights? I thought everybody should be Chris. <laughs> these guys went they went from from zero to a thousand in no time. That's something you don't hear about candidates these days. <laughs> Their vote, spirit is... vote for me. I'm not trans gendered because you always know where i go to the bathroom we're really waiting on some treacherous territory <laughs> holy smokes <laughs> i think you were right it was quite worse back then to be a trans person than it is today probably yes <laughs> i would say <laughs> all right so probably adams has no problem winning this election if it's not for alexander hamilton who hates his guts. And so Alexander Hamilton, who is hashtag never Adams, decides that he is going to engineer this election so that Charles Pinckney wins. And who is that? Charles Pinckney is the guy who you ran, even though they didn't vote separately in the Electoral College for president and vice president. You ran two Federalists and two Democratic Republicans with the idea that one was the presidential candidate and one was the vice presidential candidate. Okay. So Pinckney is the guy who's supposedly the vice presidential candidate, but Hamilton comes up with this idea that he's going to get Pinckney the votes to actually become president. So he can't run for vice president, but he's put up. As the vice presidential candidate with the idea that we hope he gets the second most votes behind. Right there. There's no such thing as a vice presidential candidate. There's only the guy who comes in first and the guy who comes in second. So he's like the B side of the Federalist album is pretty. Yeah, I got you. (laughs) Precisely. And he's famous because he's one of the uh, ministers in the XYZ affair. Oh, okay, you're, you're gonna have to tell us about that. 
All right, so the XYZ affair, Adam sends these three secret ministers to France because we're trying to negotiate with France because we're like on the cusp of war with France. So Adam sends these ambassadors, codename X, Y, and Z, and the French ambassador who meets them in France demands a tribute. So basically... They want hard some money. balls them to pay to negotiate. Yeah, okay. And so Pinckney, one of the guys, refuses to pay. They come back to America. That's when the quasi-war with France starts. Pinckney becomes a hero because it's very patriotic to tell them, we will not pay homage to you. It's patriotic to be cheap. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he's put up as a candidate. Yeah, and so Hamilton has this dream that he's going to work the system in order to have Pinckney defeat Adams. Now, why is that? Is he essentially a puppet of Hamilton? Why is Hamilton not running? What am I missing with with Hamilton not trying to run earlier? Hamilton has a huge sex scandal. All the elites know about Hamilton's... Uh, sex scandal because he gave it he basically told on himself with this thing he got totally scammed by this woman that he was having an affair with it's a pretty bad one stormy daniels so, like <laughs> did you say stormy daniels yeah, i did i did i just caught that <laughs> hamilton is really your first carl rove type character in american politics the kingmaker. Precisely, or at least that's how he likes to see himself. So he wants someone other than Adams, and he doesn't get along with Adams. Why? Hamilton is a high federalist, which is like a stone's throw away from being a monarchist, whereas Adams is a really moderate federalist. So they are in disagreement as to how much power the executive should have. Adams says a lot of power, and Hamilton says... All the power ever. Yeah, I mean, that's a good way to look at it. In terms of the executive, uh, yeah, Hamilton probably would have made George Washington king if he had had the opportunity. I mean, really. It's so funny that we worship these people. Hamilton is a real pretty scummy guy. He's a real son of a gun to have a, a musical named after him. So does Hamilton essentially blow this election for Adams? It sounds like it. Oh, man, does he ever. But there's so much more intrigue to get to before the election gets blown. Let's do it. All right. The other intrigue is that some states let the state legislature choose the electors, whereas other states let people go and vote on the district level for who they want an elector to be and who they want their elector to you know, they know who the elector will vote for, so they can go and elect the elector to choose Thomas Jefferson, or they can pick the elector who's going to choose John Adams. Let me make sure I understand that with a question. So some states, if the legislature was in charge, essentially all the electors would vote for one candidate, I would think. Is that right? Uh, it depends on exactly how the legislature is set up. Most gotcha. of them have two houses. Okay. So if one party controls both houses of the legislature, then they'll pick all 
electors who will vote for the person they want to vote for. So very much like today, it's it's an all or nothing kind of scenario. Yes, except for nobody went and voted. I got gotcha. you. And, and the opposite side of that would be these states that actually had people vote for electors. And in that case, if it was based on a district by district level, they could split, essentially split the vote in their state. Exactly. Just like Nebraska and Maine do today, they they each have a district that votes separately from the rest of the state. Right. And and every district could vote separately if they wanted to. Okay, and so that was happening during this election too. Yes. And so how did that impact it? Oh, a lot. I mean, the most interesting part of that to me is the total lack of principle of the politicians who believe that it should be done democratically in states where it will benefit for them for it to be done democratically. And they believe the legislature should pick in states where it will benefit them for the legislature to pick. But they use the rhetoric of, well, oh, we must give the power to the people and be democratic. You know, it's all this in the states that mattered. Right. But really, it's just them, you know, trying to maximize their own victory. So I think on a layman's note, it's it's almost like they're trying to piece together an election that is that is from a bunch of states that maybe don't even want to be a part of it because they're not even serious about taking the necessary steps to be a part of it. Does that make sense? I mean, they're making a lot of moves here to me that's – you know, it's it's like herding cats at this point. It's a very young republic. There's not a lot of cohesity to the to the way that, that the states are acting. Um, and we try to put together a national election. It's just, it could be a, a huge cluster. And it sounds like the politicians are taking advantage of that, right? Because even back oh. then, yeah, even back then, we're trying to engineer an election based on who we want to win. I mean, that's like you said. If we think it's going to benefit us to have people vote in one state, we're going to be all for democracy. But if it's another state, we know for sure it's in the bag of the legislature, vote, legislature votes, then that's what we want to do. And, and speaking of nothing's changed, it seems like we've had flip-floppers all the way back to 1800 or, or earlier. Yeah, like, how has this changed in the past 215, 20 years? What hasn't? Right? Yeah. Well, you know, it's just like today when you have Democrats who don't like the Electoral College – I mean, what's the reason that they don't like the Electoral College? We all know. Because they lost. Because it's benefited Republicans. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. If tomorrow it benefited – and I'm not picking on Democrats here because Republicans are the same way. You know, if tomorrow it benefited them, then they would like it a whole lot better, and they would go and do the research, and they would say – all the things that Republicans say now about why the Electoral College is actually a good thing. Absolutely. And this is what all of these guys were doing back then. They were saying, you know, they were just making whatever argument benefited them in a real politics sort of way. So so is it safe to say that from the very beginning of this country that politicians have always wanted a touch of chaos so that they can push their own agendas yeah absolutely i mean i mean if you just look at ham hamilton and his desire to control the system and it's particularly interesting since he is one of the main creators of that system 
But, you know, a lot of times people think of the founding fathers as like these perfect, super noble guys who walked around saying these quotes all the time. And that was all they ever did was say these great quotes and they really meant them and they were above everything. But really, with the exception of maybe George Washington, none of them were like that. They were all just, you know, a bunch of Adam Schiff's and, you know, whoever else. I mean, they were they were politicians, just like the politicians today. So even from the beginning, nobleness out the window after Washington. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I'm not so sure that Washington was as perfect as all that either. Although I do love George Washington and think that he was probably the most noble president there has ever been or ever could be. So who were who are the big winners and who are the big losers? Obviously, we have, we had a losing party and a, and, a, and a winning party. But between the lines here, who won and who lost in, in this election? In the simple way, who won and who lost, I will say the big loser in this election is the Federalist Party who will be out of power forever and will have totally disappeared after the War of 1812. Yeah. They will cease to exist. So Adams really blew it for everybody. You know, I would say Hamilton blew it for everybody, really. Yep. Uh, I would say he was the destroyer of the party. But then on the other hand, I would say that the Federalist Party died in part because by 1812, everyone was a Federalist. There was no need for a party to protect the idea of a federal government because by then everybody was behind the idea of a federal government. And that's part of what destroyed the party. I got you. That makes sense. But their legacy on the courts – since they spent 12 years appointing everyone to every court, mm-hmm. will last for many years. <laughs> so where are we at in this election now? Oh, it's a mess. Well, really important are the happenings in France. Okay. And Napoleon helped someone else stage a coup to overthrow uh, the government in France. And then Napoleon staging a coup within a coup overthrew the guy that he was part of the coup for and uh, tossed him out and took power. He's not emperor yet for another few years, but he's the first council of France. And everybody in our brand new republic sees that happen, and that is their fear. And so the big smear about Thomas Jefferson that's going to show up in every newspaper other than Thomas Jefferson is dead, the big smear is going to be Thomas Jefferson is a godless atheist, just like all those Jacobins. Yep, he's right. I see one here that says one newspaper warned murder, robbery, rape, adultery, and incest will be openly taught and practiced. The air will be rent with the cries of the distress. The soil will be soaked with blood and the nation black with crimes. That's a newspaper quote from back yeah that's strong they're nasty (laughs) oh my god (laughs) especially the incest part i mean come on now (laughs) that was both parties (laughs) oh man yeah it was probably either the gazette or the aurora that that 
was originally printed in. Oh. Pretty much everything showed up in the Gazette, which was the Federalist paper, or the Aurora, which was the big Democratic-Republican paper. And then all the other newspapers in the country just reprinted what was in those papers. So how did how do the candidates who are reading this this completely salacious things, how did they react? What was What was their recourse? I mean, did they did they ignore it? Did they did they simply escalate it by saying something even more outrageous? I mean, how was it taken? The only recourse that you have, I mean, it's not like, all right, somebody prints Thomas Jefferson is dead. If it's 2019, you can jump on Twitter on your verified account and say, I'm not dead. Yeah, it's not true. Yeah, my eye filled up with blood during the debate, but I'm fine. Yeah, you know, but back then. Your only recourse is to write a letter to your buddy at the local friendly paper and say, hey, they wrote this about me, but here's all these bad things about him. You know, and really, you don't even have to write him a letter because mostly they're just going to make up stuff themselves to write about the other person. But it's just this daily, total, absolute smear campaign. They don't care what they say. Uh, They're constantly telling everybody, if the candidate I support does not win this election, it will be the end of America. My God, we've not changed a bit. No, not one bit. Wow. Our elections are still apocalyptic as hell. If somebody from the other party wins the presidency for four years, which will be checked by the legislature and judiciary – that will end the country. That's insane. Although Burr was running in this election as Jefferson's vice president, if Burr had won the election, it damn well might have ended the country. Yeah. <laughs> and he, I, I mean, I think he wanted to win, right? Well, okay, here's the interesting part of that. Let's hear it. He was Jefferson's running mate, and he was a hell of a good pick for a running mate because he had this ground game in New York where he was from. And that's not a big Democratic. I mean, that's Hamilton territory. Yep. But Burr gets all these Democratic Republicans voted into the legislature in New York to try to control New New York's electoral vote. So uh, Burr made a big delivery. So good pick for a running mate. Here's the huge problem with Burr. Aaron Burr is probably the most power-hungry, most ambitious, most kind of evil politician in the United States. And he wasn't doing over the, he wasn't doing with the veil of what we called nobleness before. He was out in the open with his his hunger for pomp. Oh yeah. Before I start talking about Aaron Burr, I'm going to have to crack open my second beer. All right, let's, let's do it. Let's hear what you're drinking. Sound of that theme music you've probably guessed. We're at the end of part one of the election of 1800, but there's so much more to come. Come back for part two of the election of 1800. It's available now on iTunes and all podcast apps. And as always, thanks for listening.